and welcome to the AAMFT Podcast, your all-access pass to the latest news developments and thought leaders in the world of systemic therapy. We strive to relate, educate, and innovate one episode at a time. I'm your host, Dr. Eli Karam, and we're brought to you by the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy. Our podcast explores topics that relationship-based therapists care about. In addition to featuring unique conversations and interviews with established experts, our show provides information and education on direct practice and emerging trends in the MFT profession. For more information, please visit us at aamft.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. MFTs are among the core professional occupations in behavioral health. Recent estimates report around 62,000 MFTs practicing in the U.S. today. But aside from standardized education and training requirements, few characteristics are known about this new generation of practicing MFTs. Things such as demographic composition, practice characteristics, job functions, and settings where they are delivering behavioral mental health. So to address this need, Last year, the AAMFT conducted an industry workforce study to examine the shifts related to COVID-19 and both the challenges and opportunities that are facing the field we love so much. What they found out is what we're going to talk about today. Things like our rapid growth, huge demand, and shifting dynamics in our profession that was already entering a new phase of maturation before the pandemic accelerated everything. So... If you haven't read the workforce study yet, you're going to get a great overview with AAMFT Chief Executive Officer, Chris Michaels. Chris, at the beginning of 2023, was named CEO after being with AMFT for over 30 years, as she'll tell us today. And she's worked in nearly every program area within AAMFT. Her primary areas of expertise are nonprofit management, finance, technology, web, and business operations. After realizing her passion for association management, she became a certified association executive in 2006. Outside of work, Chris spends her free time with her family, enjoys seeing new places, and reading. I've known Chris for a long time. The first time we've had the opportunity to have her as a guest on the podcast. I hope you find this information as interesting as I did. Toward the end of our talk, we address a very important breakthroughs influencing the way we practice, including MFTs and Medicare and portability of license stuff. Every practicing systemic therapist should know about. We'll be back after the interview. Are progress notes stressing you out? Good documentation is essential for a high standard of care, but the time and effort involved can feel overwhelming. If you've experienced that overwhelm, Chronicler can help. Chronicler's intuitive note builder lets you compose excellent progress notes right in your browser, often in three minutes or less. Sign up today for a two-week free trial at TherapyShelf.com. Dot com. That's therapyshelf.com and see how easy high quality progress notes can be. 
Eli back with you on the AMFT podcast. I am so happy to be joined by the CEO of the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy, Chris Michaels. And we are going to be talking today about, I think, information every MFT should know, certainly if you're a member of the AMFT, but even if you're not, what it looks like to be an MFT practicing in 2023. Every 10 years or so, the AMFT does a workforce study. Those results have been out for a couple months, but I thought we'd have Chris on to talk about it because Chris has been a longtime part of the AMFT family, but has recently become the first female ever CEO of the AMFT. Tell us about just briefly, everybody likes to know about our guest. If no one has ever encountered you at a conference or an AMFT event, your history with AMFT leading to you becoming CEO early in 2023. Sure. I joined AMFT 34 years ago. And at that point, I was the youngest staff person. I took the job with AMFT because it was either take that job or go back home. I didn't know anything about MFTs or associations or even the finance work they actually wanted me to do it was clearly an entry-level job, like most of us do. And I just kept learning and really became fascinated by systemic therapy. It was very similar to how I process my internal issues that I work on at the office. And I've just kept learning all along the way. It's been a great professional ride. Yes, and I've really enjoyed getting to know you and working with you over the years. And the great thing about that is you have this institutional knowledge of the AMFT, where we were, where we're at now, and where we're headed. So we'll talk about some of that too, in addition to the workforce study. But let's talk, let's start with that. Talk about how this research was conducted, what the purpose of it is, and then we'll talk about the relevant findings. AMFT partnered with McKinley Advisors. They're an association of research and consultant to do the workforce study for us this time. The research was conducted in a couple of phases. We did a qualitative interviews with key AMFT leaders and stakeholders designed to inform the direction of the research, the larger research. And then we did a quantitative survey of both AMFT members and non-member MFTs, as well as those in training. In total, we had about 3,108 respondents that completed or partially completed the survey, giving us a response rate of about 12%. And this is in line with other typical surveys that are conducted by the advisors and others in the industry. So we got a good cross-section, not only of our members at all different levels, but just all systemic therapists in general, MFTs that are not part of the AMFT. And I think nationally, right, about half of MFTs are part of AMFT around that. Yes, that's about right. So what findings are you the most encouraged by? I think what I was most encouraged by is the increase in the diversity of the respondents and then the drop in the average age and then the massive pivot our field has made to adapt to telehealth during COVID. I think those are some of the bigger ones. I was also really encouraged by the shift in the licenses held. 72% of the respondents reported exclusively holding an MFT license. This is dramatically different than in 2012 where we had a substantial amount that were dual licensed. So those were some of the very big pieces that stuck out for me. All right, let's break those down in the order you mentioned. All right, what did we learn about 
racial and ethnic diversity within the field? Because obviously the field has come a long way, much maligned. There are classic models of patriarchal, white, mill to upper class, and that certainly has changed. So what do we know about our racial ethnic diversity in the last 10 years? In this survey, we found that 25% of the respondents identified as a person of color. This was up 8% from 2012. So that was a fairly significant growth in 10 years, which we had not seen previously. The growth was particularly notable among those in the field identifying as Black, African-American, and then Hispanic, Latino, or Spanish. For those identifying as African-American, we were over 11%. And this is up from 4.3% in 2012. For those identifying Hispanic, Latino, or Spanish, we were up to 7% from 3.77% in 2012. So you see that those numbers have been doubling. When we look at that compared for the student responses specifically, the growth in diversity was much more prominent. 20% of the student respondents identified as Black, African-American, and 11% as Hispanic, Latino, or Spanish. So I think those were some significant increases in the diversity numbers that we've seen over those from the previous report in 2012. I love hearing that the field was talking about reaching out to diverse client populations that were sometimes skeptical of mental health or psychotherapy in general, or they wanted a therapist that looked like them, that they could relate to. What do you attribute to that increase, Chris? I I think there's a much more focus on mental health in general. I think we're seeing a lot more people going into mental health professions. And particularly for us, it's certainly good to see that growth in stomach therapists in particular. What do we find out about gender as far as the sample? The gender was interesting. The gender has not dramatically changed since the last time. The MFT field continues to be predominantly composed of those who identify as women, 77%, and then there were 19% male, 2% as gender nonconforming binary. In terms of the age, the age dropped from age of 50 was the average in 2012, was about 35% of our members were over the age of 65. In 2022, the average age is now 45.7, with 20% of the members over 65. So you can see this, we have dramatically reduced the impact of the retirement bubble that we were facing, and we were very concerned 10 years ago. I've been in this profession for 23 years, half my life, and that's what we've been talking about. It's an aging profession, and the boomers, and how are we going to replace the boomers? So that is a pretty significant drop in a good way. So that's really good news. Anything else we attribute that to why the number dropped? I think there's several things going on. I think that AMFT over the last 10 years has worked hard to increase its relevancy to systemic therapists. I think that we are doing things now that are much more resonating with our younger therapists. So I think we're seeing that it's very helpful. I do think that, again, the focus on mental health and general conversations that people are having now has drawn more attention to it. And we certainly have seen an increase in the number of students going into academic programs, which is very good for us in terms of increasing the diversity and the number of people entering the field. What do we know about the work settings? Interestingly, that has not changed dramatically. The primary work setting continues to still be private practice. 
over 46% reported that they were still in private practice. So we actually thought that might have changed, but it is still the primary workplace setting. Outside of private practice, what is the next biggest percentage where people work? It then drops down to about 16% for group practice and agency, community, mental health centers. Then the 10% was the school, college, university setting. You also tracked in the survey how new MFTs are entering the profession. What do we know about that? This was interesting. Most early career professionals reported beginning their MFT studies now immediately after undergraduate work. In the 40 and under age group, 61% reported first learning about the field during or before college. Prior in the old days, that was probably only like 20 to 25%. Many of the people entering the MFT field came in as a second career. So this is a dramatic change in terms of people entering the profession at a much earlier stage for us. Stoppled compared to 10 years ago. You said you were pleasantly surprised what you found out in the survey about COVID-19 impacting MFTs. What did we learn? Well, is this very interesting that it forced the MFT professional to really make a massive pivot to adopt a teletherapy? In the study, three years after COVID, 47% now report seeing clients primarily through telehealth. Over the next three years, 39% are anticipating continuing to use it as their primary format. And this is the most important part. 96% plan to continue telehealth in some capacity. And that we did not see that prior to COVID. The predominant place was in person for seeing clients. So this was a massive change for us. Telehealth and using technology is here to stay. I imagine that impacts multi-state licensure too, because the ability now to reach more people through telehealth means you can be licensed in different states. What do we find out about multi-state licensure? The main thing that we saw there was that the need to see clients in other states was really to continue continuity of care. We didn't quite expect that. I think one would generally think that it's to expand the business for financial purposes, but really we saw therapists really wanting to continue that continuity of care. The top challenge identified by 48% was trying to make sure they continue to do that across state lines. Similarly, a vast majority of respondents indicated interest in multi-state licensure. Now, this was interesting because the work study also showed that therapists were at their maximum work capacity. So if you're at your maximum work capacity, can you truly be picking up clients in other states or following them in terms of continuity of care? We know that after COVID, most were already at burnout levels. So how, when they reduce that? Will this change over time? That's the part we're still all quite now. But they all indicated, at least 31% indicated, they're currently practicing in more than one state right now. It'll be interesting to follow that. What do you guess will happen? I think that's going to be the interesting question. If our therapists are reporting burnout and at maximum capacity, do they really continue to expand into other states? Maybe one or two, at least neighboring states. Because the problem you also have to deal with is that you have to then pay for that extra licenses and then really maintain and follow all the regulations for each of the states. So that's going to be interesting to see how that kind of plays out. I think one of the other parts of this is the ease of getting that extra license in another state, which goes back to portability, right? Other thing a survey does like this, it tells us what challenges 
we're facing as a profession. So let's talk about that. After looking at the data and the survey results, what concerns are we facing as a profession moving into the next 10 years? That's a great question. One of the things that we saw that was quite significant was the drop in the number of respondents holding PhDs. In 2012, we had already noted that 33% were holding PhDs and that number had dropped. In 2012, that number has dropped down to 20%. So this is a big concern for us. With less MFTs pursuing PhDs, are we leaving the field open to be defined and shaped by other mental health professions? We really have to look at this. And this also goes along with contracting um, MFT doctoral programs. I say this on the show all the time. I have a PhD in MFT, and I'm very proud of that. But I also know that you don't need a PhD to be a great clinician. In fact, most of the frontline clinicians and the best therapists I've known over the years have not had that. However, we need those MFTs not only with PhDs doing research on marriage and family therapy and things related to that, but we also need them for training the next generation. So what, when you think about that, a potential kind of solutions to that problem, I know that's a bigger topic, but I am curious what you think about that. And fortunately, I don't have a lot of answers on that right now. And this is one of the things that we need to be starting to really figure out. When we look through the workforce study, you'll see that one of the biggest problems is the financial barriers to higher education. So this is some of the areas that we're going to need to really continue to explore and figure out how to address the shortage as we move forward. I don't know that there is a simple answer right now. I mean, we already knew we needed to develop a pipeline coming into master's programs because we don't have a bachelor program. But now we definitely see this as, a, as an issue with the shortage of PhDs going forward. We've covered some of the major results just in a quick 20-minute dive, but tell everybody quickly, especially if they're members, how they can read this very easy-to-digest study, number one. And then number two, a, a general question, how AMFT uses these findings to advocate for the profession, to help its members. So this data is great. I think everybody is practicing MFT should know it, but what does AMFT do with it moving forward? We use this to decide where we need to put our energies into. Clearly, as we notice the drop in the PhDs is one area we need to look at. We know that Medicare and portability were also extremely important in this. These are areas we were already working on, but it helps to tell us that we're heading in the right direction in terms of where we're putting our focus. In terms of the workforce study itself, Yes, it would be great for everyone to read that, truly understand what it is that where we're at this point. You can find that at www.nft.org slash workforce study. I do encourage everyone to read it. And I think these are questions that we will all need to be working on together as we move forward. You mentioned the care and portability. Tell us a little more about that and other things you are excited about now in your first year as CEO and what's upcoming in 2023 that MFTs and certainly AAMFT members should be excited about? First, we're super excited for passing that omnibus bill at the end of the year and getting into Medicare. That has been a three-decade process uh, that we've been advocating for. We are spending a lot of time this year working with the various agencies to get that organized and ready so that our members can join effective January 1st of next year. 
I think that's probably the most exciting thing I've seen over my history after getting all the state licensed. So that's very exciting. That's um, awesome. We have been waiting for that since I entered the field. So yeah, some maybe our younger listeners that are students or pre-licensed don't know what a huge deal that is as far as parity with the other mental health professions. But this now will give potential clients on Medicare access to systemic therapists to couple and family therapy where they have not been able to have it before. So this is huge for members, for even our non-members, for any MFT, but certainly for potential consumers and clients out there. Sometimes I think people, they join a professional association and they don't really understand the advocacy and what it takes to get that. But that is a long battle wanted. You rank it right up there with getting licensure in all 50 states as far as how large that looms as far as an achievement for the field. Absolutely. And I think the important other part there is that that just getting it doesn't stop the problem. We now have to fight for inclusion inside Medicare in terms of being accepted. We think about VA, we've got into VA and it's taken a long time to get us up to a different level in the VA. Our advocacy work does not stop with getting that passed. So it's something we need to continue to push forward on our advocacy and we need everyone to help with that. We know that only 22% of licensed MFTs in the country are working with AMFT and on legislative pieces. We need everyone to be working on this, not just the AMFT members. I think the other thing that we're really excited about is pushing aggressively for licensure portability in the state. With a shortage of mental health professionals across the country, it's critical that we reduce those barriers to getting our MFTs into the various states when they're relocating. So that is one of the major areas that we're going to focus on over the next few years. Yeah, portability, that would be huge as well. So another question we get a lot, which kind of ties in today, we were mentioning technology and I feel like AMFT has innovated so much in how they deliver their offerings through the pandemic and even things like this podcast, the pandemic family therapy conference uh, has been very successful in uh, on demand online delivery. AMFT, as of this recording recently in March of this year, returned to face-to-face conference for the first time in the leadership symposium, which is one of my favorite times of the year. We get a lot of questions of, will AMFT return to face-to-face conferences on a larger scale? This is interesting. And the in-person larger events were We had a number of people come, but we only had about 6% of the membership attending those events. COVID did an interesting thing. It showed us that our therapists could get online and do training. The first virtual event that we did for the Systemic Family Therapy Conference, we had over 3,000 therapists attend from all around the world. That was a major event, considering that we had only met at 1,200 or 1,500 at an in-person event. And we've repeated that the last few years. So we are intending to go to another in-person. We'll do that every, maybe every three years, but we plan to continue to offer the virtual larger event every single year because we saw that really brought everyone together. We saw a lot of diversity, a lot of members who had never been able to afford to come to an in-person event attended that. And more importantly, we also offered that event for free to all students so that they could have access to that systemic training. And we're going to continue to do that over the next few years as our commitment to our student members. Yes, I love that. And it's been a very clinically rich conference the last couple of years. 
as well. And we're talking about this younger demographic. We have a whole generation of this pandemic era, people coming of age as therapists. That is how they get their information on demand in the comfort of their own office or home. So there is certainly a lot of innovation and practicality that comes along with that. And then there's certainly what we do also, the relational part in building relationships. And I think one of the challenges that I struggle with as both a practitioner and an educator is how do we attain our traditions and our full of the face-to-face, whether a, an event in a therapy room or creating connection between colleagues, how can we keep that part, which is so important to our job as relational healers with also innovating and adapting to the times and technology. So it is a balance, but I'm glad to hear there is a mixture of both and AMFT is continuing to provide access, which is important, especially for young therapists that don't have a lot of extra resources. So I know my students, almost all of them took part of it because it was free, which is an amazing thing. So it's great to hear that is continuing. I think also what you mentioned too, is like, we are the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy, but there's been with these innovations, less and less barriers for international people to join a conference like this or join AMFT. Do you want to say anything about our international members as we get ready to wrap up? Yeah, that's actually a, a great area too that we've been working on as we change the bylaws to really remove some of those barriers that were creating problems because of our American-centric structure with licensure. So we are seeing now more international, very highly qualified systemic therapists reaching out to us and starting to participate. They certainly have been participating in some of our online events. We have people attending the supervisor designation trainings from around the world. We've got people getting up in Hong Kong in the middle of the night for our time to attend those. And it has just been wonderful to see that we are beginning to connect more globally and bring our field together. I'm so happy we could sit down and do this today. So happy you're on board at the head, leading the charge, the AMFT. Again, your knowledge of the past and moving us forward into the future is invaluable. And I'm hoping we can do this again in a couple of years and we can talk about the next hurdles we were able to overcome, including things like portability and expanding our membership and helping advocate for the profession. Thank you so much, Chris Michaels. You're very welcome. Thank you, Eli. Eli, back with you, bringing to a close another informative installment of the AAMFT podcast. There was a lot of great information there. Again, let's plug what we talked about, the NFT Workforce Study. Get your free copy today. You can go to aamft.org slash workforce underscore study. There you go in a nice, easy to digest document that has all that information and more. I think it's really important, whether you're a member of AMFT or not, that you know where we stand as a profession, both the gains we've made and the challenges we face, as we just mentioned. One of those huge gains that we talked about is MFTs and Medicare. That bill passed and it's now federal law. AMFT achieved its primary federal advocacy goal of passing legislation into law that recognizes MFT as Medicare-eligible providers. And under this change, MFTs and mental health counselors 
MHCs will finally be eligible to provide service to Medicare beneficiaries and receive reimbursement from Medicare. As Chris mentioned, that goes into effect January 1st, 2024. You want to know more about that? amft.org slash advocacy. If you want to be more of an advocate for the profession, you listen to this podcast and you hear Lee talk about it, you can join the family team. Find out more about the family team at amft.org. Please drop us a line. I'd love to hear from you. You can get a hold of me, Eli at NorthStarCounselingCenter.com. I'm at EliCaram.com as well, E-L-I. K-A-R-A-M.com. There you can find out everything that's going on, including several books that are out that I've authored, Bringing Common Factors to Life in Couple and Family Therapy. My co-author, Adrian Blow. That book is really what's at the heart and soul of MFT that binds us together as relational healers. It's also kind of built in. So when I talk to model developers on the show and I ask them about how change occurs and how to build alliances how to work systemically, tap into client strengths. It's a great book for people just getting into MFT and for seasoned professionals to enhance what they're already doing well. I also have a book out from Springer if you're preparing for the licensure exam. The latest up-to-date information preparing you for maybe the most important test of your life. Please check out all five seasons worth of the AMFT podcast where we have a mix between pioneers, luminaries in the field of systemic therapy and important topics that we think all MFT should know about, just like we talked about today. Until next time, my friends, stay safe, stay systemic. <laughs>